what I offer people is going to resonate with some people. It's not going to resonate with others. And there are clients who will come to me for one thing, they'll go to someone else for another and someone else for another and they might interchange that. That's fine. I don't get all possessive about my clients where a lot of people do. They think they own their clients. And I think clients are more discerning these days, you know, a lot more savvy um, with, you know, information. But, um, you know, they've got more at their disposal to make better decisions and ask more questions, which they should rightfully. And as I said, you know, if I, if I haven't got the capacity, you know, despite best efforts to, to help someone to the fullest extent, well, then by all means, you know, let's shove you down the road where someone can help you. You're listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic, the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital, as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. When you build an aesthetic clinic, it's tempting to see every other provider around you as a competitor and to keep them at an arm's length. But what if you did the opposite? What if you methodically sought to collaborate with other providers, even those who might technically be competing for the same patients? That's what Eileen Lloyd did, and it's the secret to her clinic chain's explosive growth. Just two years ago, she operated one holistic medispa clinic in Western Australia. Today, she operates eight high-fuse skin clinics, five of which opened just this last year. We're delighted to welcome her onto this week's podcast to find out more about how she did it. Hi, Eileen. Hi, Miriam. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, so let's dive right into it. Um, I'm really excited to hear about your whole partnership strategy. Um, Eileen, what kind of partnerships are we talking about? Can you give me some examples? Sure. Well, certainly not mainstream by any measure. Um, and it hasn't obviously evolved in a linear <laughs> format. Um, but basically, relationships are key to everything that, that I've evolved with my business from the clients and, and, and their informal referral networks that they facilitate, obviously, right through to my suppliers um, and then business-to-business -business, um, arrangements that I have, both like-minded aesthetic businesses as well as, I suppose you could say, health and wellness-related businesses Another more aesthetically orientated business, things like photographers, you know, things around weddings, you know, business that sort of facilitate those sort of um, aesthetically orientated kind of <laughs> functions. So it's quite eclectic. I work with everyone from cosmetic doctors and associated practitioners to naturopaths, integrated GPs. Um, so, so, let, let, let's talk about those kind of health or aesthetic oriented um, people, as, as, as you call them. Um, when you say you work with them, so what, what kind of relationships do you develop with them? Um, well, basically, um, it's a cross-referral relationship in many instances. Um, often it's also consultancy-based business, so we'll collaborate, collaborate with them on the same clients to address um, underlying concerns, um, with obviously me coming from a more natural, holistic, non-invasive approach, um, working um, alongside cosmetic physicians, which, you know, do the injectables, you know, and all that sort of thing as well. Um, and then obviously working with um, natural therapists and the like who, you know, address the underlying causes where, where it's beyond my scope of practice and knowledge to do to 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 to, to help assist with um, skin issues. So, 
Um, basically, it's, you know, we might be located on the same premises. We might not be. It's all very different and eclectic. <laughs> so <laughs> all very it, sounds, it sounds like it's difficult to make generalizations because it sounds like there's a, yes. a lot of moving parts here. But let's, let's try to anyway. Um, yeah. First of all, I'm interested in how you find these people. Um, how do, you, how do you, you, you mentioned that it kind of develops in a linear way, but do you systematically go and try find these relationships or how, how do you come across them? How, how does it work? Is it something? Some of them yes, and some of them no. Some of them just happen opportunistically. <laughs> Quite often a lot of those people um, will come to me as um, new clients themselves. I have quite an extensive now list of cosmetic doctors and nurses who are actually my clients. Um, also, so when, they, so, so when they come in, you find out what they do and you realise, hey, that's a great opportunity and then you just get into a normal conversation with them about... Not necessarily in the first instance. Um, they're not necessarily always aligned with my approach. So it's not something that I'm conscientiously doing. It's just something that sort of naturally evolves, I guess you could say, mutually. Um, it's not something I made a concerted effort to do. But in other instances, as I said, like when I've got a client's particularly a chronic skin concern, which I haven't been able to get adequate results with within my skill set and or tool, toolkit, I guess you could say. Um, and it's usually there's an underlying health issue there, a chronic one, um, and quite often needs more in-depth diagnosis, um, whether it be blood work or the like. So... Um, and depending on which clinic location that particular client is coming to me. So obviously um, it, it's kind of like a cell that has all the other extraneous components in that immediate local vicinity within that clinic, um, but it might be different in another location, what resources I have at my disposal and so forth. So where I'm lacking, um, I will actively seek out when the need arises basically and then builds from there. Once those connections are made, they're ongoing. And do you do anything to maintain them? Oh, yes, you know, I suppose it's the normal sort of relationship stuff. You um, constantly maintain dialogue, I suppose, check in with, um, um, troubleshoot. That's a big one. We like to pick each other's brains, um, particularly when you're coming from two completely different approaches to address the same issue or the same client. Um, and constantly following up with, you know, if I get a referral from a cosmetic doctor and vice versa, we'll constantly follow up with how it's going fair end from their perspective. And, you know, there's always that constant back and forth. There's also, you know, we'll actively seek out or accept in some instances cross-promotional opportunities, you know, business to business within the context of their, their staff, but also their client base as well. So it might be a joint collaboration in that respect. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very much an outside the box kind of gal, if that wasn't already obvious. So, Fantastic. <laughs> a lot of it just... so, so tell me, first of all, what makes, well, I, I'm very interested also to hear more about the, about the, the joint ventures that you're doing. So we'll, we will definitely get back to that. Um, but first of all, do you have any criteria? You, it sounds like you cooperate with an awful lot of people, an awful lot of other businesses. Um, what actually mm. makes a good partner i is this something in particular that you'll you know beyond the fact that they're generally in the same kind of industry are there any kind of criteria that you look for now anything specific um i suppose they've got to resonate with me on a personal level <laughs> um for a start um uh, they've got to have pretty high professional standards um i'm someone who aspires to do that myself um you know it doesn't matter what you do or what you've got, you've got to be trying to do your best, you know, and apply your effort considerably at all times, going over and above. Um, I think a big a big one with me in accordance with my approach is they've got to be willing to really look at the whole person, not just that one little aspect of it. They've got to look at the whole picture um, or be prepared to at least and consider all options, be open-minded, particularly when you've got people coming from a more health or clinical oriented background who, you know, looking at incorporating natural therapies and the like or a more holistic approach like what I do. So you're looking for someone, um, you're looking for businesses that, that kind of share your, your approach. Yeah, yeah, and it's not necessarily something they conservatively do, but, you know, they're just within the individual context of the practitioners that I engage with, that tends to be the case, yeah. Um, and I guess as well... Um, <sighs> Probably more small business orientated, orientated, so more local orientated, more in touch with um, 
more in touch with their own clients or patients, very much in touch with their own staff and that side of things. So it's very much, um, whilst I'm obviously collaborating with individual practitioners, it's they generally speaking will have their whole team on board in that respect. So there's a sort of multi-angle kind of collaboration <laughs> going on there. So you clearly have this strategy that you want to collaborate with other practitioners because in many ways it aids growth, which we'll again talk about in a minute. But how do you get there? No, that's actually not my agenda is to grow. No, that's just been a side, <laughs> a side benefit. Help the patients, I'm assuming. My underlying agenda is I'm looking at my clients holistically. Mm. Um, so I'm very much mindful of the mind-body-soul-skin connection. Um, and very much the skin, which is my core focus now, is it's the largest organ of the body. It's our first line of defence and it's also our probably most obvious diagnostic tool of something being wrong within the body. So um, within my focus, which is natural, non-surgical and non-invasive modalities, um, you know, there's quite a lot I can do within my regime. I've made sure that's the case. I'm effectively a one-stop shop, if you like. But there are times when you know, clients present with issues which are beyond my scope of practice or beyond my toolkit um, or beyond my interest level as well. There's that side of it. I have carved out a niche quite specifically. So there's a lot of stuff I no longer do and have no desire to do for whatever reason. So, and that in that instance, for example, is one where I quite frequently will refer them to beauty therapists or dermal therapists or, you know, for that sort of regime, you know. Um, so, it's a genuine, so it's a genuine attempt to provide the most holistic, um, effective service possible for your clients. Yeah, um, it's a client-centred approach where I'm helping them to get a resolution regardless of where that solution comes from. It's about... So the growth has become a, and so the growth has become a happy, a fortunate um, side effect of trying to do the best yes. for clients. Yes. So just to get back to the original question, though, um, how do you, because there is growth involved, um, obviously, how do you get that? How do you get the other providers to kind of um, reciprocate? You know, you're referring business to them. Um, do they naturally reciprocate or how do, how do you turn it essentially into a, um, into a relationship where you are genuinely passing um, business to each other and it's not just all one way? Yeah, yeah. To be honest, it's been largely organic. Um, as I said, um, I'm very professional in my approach and I think particularly even the, the um, medical practitioners that I work with, and as many have explicitly relayed back to me, they understand that I'm very careful, very caring, generally caring of my clients. I'm very comprehensive in my approach and very professional, which really resonates with them. So um, the ones that I work with have no hesitation in referring to me directly for, you know, because they have clients that come to them as well, you know, whilst they offer all these amazing treatments, whether it be laser injectables and all those other more um, hardcore <laughs> solutions, there's people that come to them who, for what, whether it be for health reasons, financial reasons or whatever other reason, that may not be in their best interest. So that's where they will refer them to me. Um, so all it'll be a collaborative effort. I might they might do their bit to address their concern, and then I'll do this other bit to address either the same or a similar or different concerns. So um, there's that constant back and forth dialogue, follow up uh, regarding the client. Okay. So essentially, it becomes almost like an informal network, you might say. Yes, very much so. Yes, yes. So that that's on the referral um, side. What about you mentioned before joint ventures? What kind of joint ventures do you do with them? Well, it's kind of an extension of that referral network because sometimes it evolves from that. Other times it's just flat out uh, referrals. So from that, um, I, for other businesses, basically provide an in-house consultancy service for them as well, um, whether it be in the context of being able to provide my specialised treatment options um, or to, you know, train their staff as well. Um, so, you know, that... that that, that's one side of it. The other side of it is some of my clinics, while I have shop fronts and all that sort of thing, I also have um, clinic facilities located in other businesses as well. So we're actually literally working together. Um, so it, it's, again, it's a very sort of eclectic kind of based on different organisations. So 
you know, I work within cosmetic clinics, I work within wellness centres, you know, that side of things. So um, that that's, tends to be my core focus. And then we also got the capacity to provide um, specialist um, consulting services for other aestheticians and, and beauty therapists in their business, you know. And the way it works is um, it's all incentivised as well. So basically um, on a sliding scale, I'll remunerate them with a commission based on referral um, or whether if I provide that service in-house for them, it's um, a, an additional commission ratio um, um, as opposed to whether I provide it in my facility, you know. So there's a, a, a reward, I guess you could say, an incentivization <laughs> in that respect. One thing I keep on hearing, um, just listening to you, is obviously it's very much about relationships. That's really the essence of what we're talking about. Yeah. And in some ways that depends on you and your personality, but obviously the business is not just you. You have eight different locations, so you have lots of staff. How do you get... Not as many as you think. <laughs> I said not as many as you think. I, even that, that framework is not mainstream. I actually basically work on a subcontract basis with people I do have under me. So, again, it's incentivised. They're invested in the business. So if they don't uh, put in the effort, if they don't genuinely care, um, then obviously that has an impact on the flow in and out of the business and it affects their remuneration directly as well. So... So in terms of building up the in terms of building up the collaborations and the partnerships, is that really does that really all fall on you, or do your staff have a um, have a role to play in that as well? Presumably, they're also in maintaining it. I instigate it, obviously, and I like to keep my finger on the pulse. There, it's much like the spoken wheel effect. I'm the centre of it, and it all kind of <laughs> gravitates out from me. And I think that's the best way to maintain quality control compliance with policies, procedures, you know. I don't have any great aspirations to grow to, you know. <laughs> well, you know, I, I never really had great aspirations to grow, quite frankly. It's just been, a, a like I said, a, 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 um, a knock-on effect. Um, but it's also been a necessary evil as well. Um, with the unique services that I provide, because it is so effective um, and some of the demographics we contend with who aren't necessarily interested in the fluffy, pampering, wellness-orientated stuff, they just want the quick fix and then they go until they need their maintenance regime in a couple of years' time. So there's that aspect of constantly having to seek new clients as well. That's so, yeah, it's a... So, so, let, so let, let, let's talk about the growth and the impact. Um, so, of, uh, but... Um, staying with this um, strategy of partnerships and collaboration, what direct impact has the has this strategy seen? Um, has, has, it, has it delivered? Um, if you want to call it a strategy, because it sounds like something that you kind of do naturally and growth has been a fantastic side effect, as you say, but how has it actually practically impacted your business? Well, it's, it's, it's a work in progress. It's still evolving, quite frankly. So... <laughs> It's, it's hard to really measure it and gauge it in any one sort of um, aspect. Um, and look, I have no doubt it will continue to evolve. Um, it's, it's just the nature of the business here at the minute and the industry, quite frankly. The whole industry is evolving quite rapidly here um, in terms of treatments offered, standards, expectations. Because we're working here in Australia at the moment in a largely unregulated industry. So there's a now a sort of a national sort of undertone occurring finally where it's becoming a lot more standardized regimented and no doubt in due course there'll be more stringent affiliations and so forth um so and just the science of it all as well is, is just in, in, in just going leaps and bounds so you know what's considered um, um best practice at this point within six months can change so it, it's a whole heap of things that are happening at the same time so um, whether it be intrinsic or extrinsic, it's, it's constantly moving, having to move and adjust. Um, so in, so in terms of the impact that all these collaborations and partnerships have had on your clinic, um, obviously you've brought in more patients um, because you, you cross-refer, you refer to each other. Um, you talked also about, um, about better outcomes. Um, I, 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 it's, 
it's given me the opportunity, having this unique model, to obviously broaden the breadth and scope of our client base, obviously, quite quickly. Um, very, very different demographic across all different clinic locations. Um, it's enabled me to do that with much smaller overheads. Okay, because, because, you know, whether it be the collaborative stuff, the referrals, the marketing costs are significantly cheaper. Um, in clinics that are located within other premises, obviously the overheads are much cheaper, obviously, than having exclusive shop fronts across the board. Um, obviously, working with subcontract um, team members, um, if they're not putting the effort in, they're not getting paid, plain and simple. So you're not having that money going into the ether. Um, and also, more importantly, if they're invested in what they're doing and genuinely care about what they're doing, those clients are continually feeding back in. So I'm a firm believer, it's a very old school adage, I know, but you know, it's much cheaper and easier to keep the clients you've got than to constantly go out seeking new ones. Well, so that, if is our entire, that is our business's entire philosophy. That's what all our marketing is based on. So it very much resonates with me. Yeah, so you know, if they're doing their job well, then, then everything flows, really. Um, so there's that. And I think, I think, by the way, that's one of many clinics biggest mistakes. They're constantly chasing new clients instead of, um, trying to make the most of the ones that they already have. Um, certainly when it comes to marketing, it's really expensive to have to constantly be chasing new leads. Whereas yeah. most clinics have, um, good lists of patients anyway, that they could be getting through the door yeah. more often. And that's a lot more money. Well, the thing, and that's the irony, isn't it? Like, and especially now with that, social expectation that everyone should be channeling all their funds into social media and all the rest of it you know they do all this but don't spend any time and effort which costs absolutely no money on rudimentary customer service you know offerings you know just the polite niceties you know the little small touches you know you know i'm a client as another old school adage i know but you know a client may not ever remember what you say or do but they will always remember the way you make them feel you know what I mean? So if they always um, associate with feeling comfort, safe, secure, loved, nurtured, all those sort of things, then, you know, there's always going to be that connection, you know, that loyalty, I guess you could say. And people who, you know, even when times are tough economically, you know, they might not come in as frequently and all the rest of it, but they will still make a point of coming back. So they still, you know... <laughs> have that connection and have that that experience with you, even if it isn't as frequently, you know? So, so, these, so these partnerships have essentially allowed you to expand quickly whilst decreasing your marketing costs, um, which which make, which really makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, it also allows me to, to, to um, offer a greater, um, a greater service offering as well, you know, indirectly. So I have my scope of practice or my toolkit and my experience and skill set that goes with that. But in terms of my clients' best interests, by having these networks, I can indirectly offer them more, whether it be skin-specific or the overall health and wellness, you know. But it's all interrelated. They trust you more because you are, they can see that you genuinely have their best interests at heart. And that probably yes, also the fact that they know as a result of that, they actually get results. You know what I mean? Um, and sustainable ones, not just overnighters that last five minutes. You know, they're getting ongoing because we're under addressing, by doing this collaborative approach, we're actually addressing the underlying cause, not just the superficial symptoms, you know? I mean, listening to you speak, um, I guess, uh, and just having spoken to and worked with so many um, clinic owners, there's this big fear very often in the industry of the competition, what the competition is doing. So I, I can just see that many people listen to you and think, but hey, like I'm giving valuable business away. What about the competition? What do you yeah. think about that? Well, a couple of things, really. Um, I guess... My view has always been there's plenty of the pie to go around. <laughs> Walking, talking cliche, I know. But there is, you know, there's, there's, you know, the vast population, I know in so many service providers, you know, and, you know, particularly now that I've specialised, and even when I hadn't, I mean, I've always had that view that, you know, and I've, particularly in my rural clinics, you know, there's been the case where it can be quite clicky and, or, you know, they can't tell, you know, so-and-so they're coming to see me because it might upset so-and-so, you know, because it's close-knit communities, you know. So 
quite often I've had clients coming through the back door so they could sneak in and out without ruffling feathers, you know, and I accommodated that, that's fine. Um, but, you know, what I offer people is going to resonate with some people, it's not going to resonate with others. And there are clients who will come to me for one thing, they'll go to someone else for another and someone else for another and they might interchange that. That's fine. I don't get all possessive about my clients where a lot of people do. They think they own their clients. And I think clients are more discerning these days, you know, whether it be because of the internet or whatever, they're a lot more savvy um, with, you know, information, whether it's right information or not is another thing entirely. But, um, you know, they've got more at their disposal to make better decisions and ask more questions, which they should rightfully. Um, so, you know, and as I said, you know, if I, if I haven't got the capacity, you know, despite best efforts to, to help someone to the fullest extent, well, then by all means, you know, let's shove you down the road where someone can help you. And, you know, treatments and modalities that I would have done in the past, more of a mainstream approach, which I'm no longer interested in, in or, or just don't offer for whatever reason, you know, clients will say to me, hey, do you know any good, you know, nail artists or do you know any good spray tanners or, you know, whatever? And I'll say, yeah, hey, go down and see so-and-so down the road. Or, you because know, they're generally not your competition apart from anything else. Well, <laughs> you'd be surprised. Most people still perceive that as such because it's still in the industry. But another example would be so... Um, my clinics are quite, they're all in our city now, they're, they're, they're sort of all quite evenly distributed throughout the city. Um, but there are times when people will make contact and they'll want a particular service, which I can provide, but for whatever reason, my, one, and none of my clinics are conveniently located for them. So I will refer them to someone within my network who uses similar treatments or products who, that, who, who can. So basically, through um, my supply network, and I've been new as far as skincare goes, uh, professional skincare and treatments, um, I've been consistently using one brand, Australian brand, for the last well, 10 years or so now. Um, and that is Heritage Healers. They're a holistic skincare. Um, and their whole philosophy, not to mention products, resonates with me beautifully, which is why I've still got them. And it's the only one line I have carried and will ever carry. Um, so within that network of other beauty therapists, dermal therapists, or whatever they choose to call themselves. Um, it's very much a close-knit network within itself. Um, and the company and the directors who are very actively involved in that, they encourage that and they foster that themselves. There's regular training, professional development, um, opportunities to, you know, um, you know, brainstorm and just sort of, be inspired, particularly for a lot of sole operators that work within the industry as well. Um, and so is, that, is that the main way that you meet some of these partners and collaborators? Because I was going to say that there's such a wide range. How are you meeting so many people? No, no, to be honest, that's only a small, a small portion of it. As I said, the vast majority actually cross my path as clients, <laughs> as new clients um, or, or associates of clients, that kind of thing. It's quite serendipitous, really apart from the ones who I've actively sought out um, because I purposefully wanted to address a particular concern for a client of mine or I've set up a new clinic um, and I'll suss out what facilitators are in that area and if I think, right, um, I need to get a naturopath in this area who I can cross-refer to, well, then I'll actively go and um, try and uh, establish rapport there. Um, so it's it just, a bit it's systematic in a way. In a way, but not, yeah, not, not so much because every location is inherently different. Um, and like I said, when I'm, for example, already located within a wellness centre, that's already there by and large. You know, those sort of practitioners are already there or in the vicinity of. So um, it just depends on the individual location and, and the client base, what they're looking so, for. So in talking of wellness, one thing that you told me before the call started was that you have some wellness, you're part of a network of wellness um, operators who have gone and created a, a, a fantastic not-for-profit association, which is a really other interesting way of collaborating. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's still, um, it, well, the association has been established. We're still going through the ringer of um, being um, formally, what we, I don't know if you're familiar with it over there in the UK, but we have in Australia something called the NDIS, the National um, Disability Scheme. Um, so basically that's where a lot of um, people now 
who, whether it be mental or physical disabilities, they have to go through this particular avenue to get funding, to get support, healthcare, and all that sort of thing. It's all very client-centered now. Um, what does your association actually do? Because I don't think we mentioned that. <laughs> oh, well, it, it, there's no limit, basically. So as long as it fits under the umbrella of wellness from a mental health perspective, um, basically, we can facilitate anything. So my um, offerings are very relevant because obviously um, a lot of what I do has that pampering aspect to it. I'm also a holistic counsellor by trade, among other things. So, um, And also, as most women are, are intimately familiar with, you know, their aesthetic very much is integral to their self-esteem self and self-confidence and own self-worth. So that very much comes under that umbrella as well. So what we'll have the capacity to do is actually source external funding grants, which we've already done. We've um, already done $20,000. We've come through from private health insurance companies. Um, but with the NDIS registration, what we'll be able to do is actually get government funding to provide subsidised treatments to clients and in some instances free ones as well to those who genuinely need it. Obviously, there's an application process um, and all those sort of um, standard frameworks that would go hand in hand with that. Um, but it's still very much in its foundation infancy stage in terms of working out logistics of it. So first of all, I think that's an absolutely beautiful, fantastic um, initiative, but it also goes to show, um, if you think about collaboration, um, about how it doesn't just have to be about business generation, but it can be about charity as well. But you haven't really, you're still in the process of setting it up, but I would imagine that that would result also, that the, another nice side benefit would be that it would result in much closer relationships between you and some of the other providers because you're collaborating and work on something worthwhile together. Well, plus, plus it actually broadens the referral network scope as well. So we'll now have literally, which for the aesthetics industry, I don't think has ever really happened, get referrals coming through directly from government human service agencies and the like, you know, private health um, funds and, you know, other sort of community service orientated um, agencies. So it's, I think that's the first in the UK. It's certainly the first here, I think, but I've never heard of anything like it before. So um, they really out the box. How did the idea come about, by the way? Well, it actually wasn't my idea in terms of formalising it. I had thought about doing something similar in the past on a much more sort of local level. Um, and to be honest, most of it was sort of around me volunteering <laughs> myself. Um, but yes, a, a colleague I work with, that was, that was her chief, someone who she personally actually suffered from mental health issues, um, had a few um, crisis issues in the last couple of years. And basically, she obviously, as we all do, you, you help heal others, you help heal yourself, don't you? So <laughs> um, that's the methodology, I think. So she's actually turned her experiences into business opportunities, basically. So she's got scope to actually, again, help others. So, um, and, you know, not reinvent the wheel and try and alleviate some of other people's burdens and pain. So, um, That's yeah. it. Essentially, it aligns with your business goals as well. You're doing a good thing, which also happens to align with your business goals, which is the perfect combination, really. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's, that sounds like a fantastic initiative. Um, do you have a name, by the way? Um, no, we're just forming a, an association. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. yeah. It's too early for a name. Um, okay, so that sounds fantastic. I think I mean, this would be a great place to take um, to take a break. And then when we get back, I have um, a, when we come back from the break, I have a question for you about your very unusual background. So we'll just take a quick break. You'll. <laughs> And then we'll take a step back and talk about how you got into aesthetics in the first place, which is extremely interesting. Hey, Miriam here. And before we get back to today's guest, I just want to mention something you might be interested in. Because as you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing that you might want to scale your own aesthetic clinic or med spa. And at Brainstorm Digital, We've developed a three-step process that keeps your practice fully booked with high-quality patients. It's called the Zero Ad Spend Aesthetic Accelerator System, and it gets your patients through your doors again and again, so you can rapidly raise your turnover and scale without chasing the same expensive, difficult-to-convert leads on Google and on social media that all your competitors are going after. To find out more about how this proven process works, I've recorded a short video 
which not only walks you through the three steps so you know exactly how we do it, but you'll also see how one ambitious clinic owner used the system to generate an extra $183,000 in revenue in just 12 months. To watch the short video, go to brainstormaesthetics.com. That's pretty simple to remember, brainstormaesthetics.com. But I'll put the address into the show notes as well so you can access it easily at the end of the podcast. And if you'd like to talk to me afterwards about how you can implement this powerful results-driven system for your clinic, there's a quick form you can use to get in touch with me after you've watched the video or just email me directly. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Now let's get back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Um, I'm here with Eileen Lloyd, who has um, eight clinics in, uh, in Western Australia. Um, and Eileen, uh, you have a very unusual background. It's actually nothing to do with aesthetics. Your background is criminology and psychology. So how did you actually get into this, get into this business? Yeah, so, oh, look, I couldn't tell you time frames. I'm terrible, but probably in the vicinity of 20-odd years ago. Yeah, I, oh, no, it'd be more than that. But, um, yes, I originally, um, when I was at university, studied psychology and criminology um, with plans of going into the federal police force and all sorts of wonderful things didn't quite come to fruition. Um, but, anywho, I got too many digressions that led me off to different paths. Um so, and I've done a lot of natural therapy studies off, off, on and off throughout the years as well, just purely out of personal interest, you know. Um, and, but I've always found myself in roles which are sort of very, um, I suppose, caring orientated, for want of a better term. Um, long story short, I had actually moved over to Sydney in the eastern states of Australia um, in my early 20s. And I was working in a special needs school with kids who were very severely intellectually and or physically um, disabled, um, a lot of them non-verbal, um, many of which were quite um, physically demanding as well, quite violent as well. So as is typical in sort of a lot of community service sort of frameworks, it's, you know, you're understaffed, under-resourced, all that sort of thing. Um, and I got to a point where I was, you know, feeling a bit burnt out. And um, I'd always employed a lot of different natural therapies and different sort of outside the square sort of um, approaches to helping deal with kids with challenging behaviours and all that sort of thing. Um, so I actually enrolled myself in a intensive uh, weekend course to study aromatherapy at a natural therapy college over there. And it all started from that. Yeah, well, pretty much learned to look after myself better, but also learned new skills that I can employ to use with the kids. And whilst I was there studying, I found out about the natural beauty therapy course, which obviously goes hand in hand because the aromatherapy is part of that. Um, and I was like, oh, this is quite interesting. And for someone who's not traditionally a girly girl by any measure, I'm actually quite a tomboy by nature in terms of my interests. Um, it was quite an unexpected um, turn. Um, so I ended up doing a bit of a side shuffle, didn't finish the aromatherapy and then followed on with the uh, natural beauty therapy. And um, yeah, that's kind of where it all started basically. Because <laughs> your background in criminology and psychology at all impacted or informed the way that you run your clinics or interpret patients? To a point, I think, you know, with that sort of um, <laughs> insight that comes with those sort of studies and uh, particularly with human behaviour, um, and, and with that sort of background, I have, I've worked in youth work, I've worked in education, I've worked in corrective services or justice system, what you probably call it over there, um, child protection, so pretty much everything except aged care, really. <laughs> Um, so a lot of my approach along those veins has always sort of been outside the square and very much relationship orientated. Um, I've never been one of those people that, whether it be a job or a business, have been able to just rock up, do the work, get paid, go home. I've felt like I've got to be invested in it and feel like I'm generally making a difference, I suppose you could say. The money's been sidelined, secondary issue. So, so your, first, um, your first operation was a natural beauty spa and wellness sanctuary um, all the way back in 2011. So what made you set that one up? Well, I, just prior to that, I was actually working in child protection. I was a senior case manager and I was commuting between the family farm where I was then located. Um, I was in business with my father. Um, 
um, when I had spare time <laughs> and I was commuting between there, Bunbury, south of Perth and Perth. Um, and after doing that for three years, practically living out of my car in a suitcase and only coming home to do my laundry, <laughs> um, I got pretty tired of that and, you know, I'm paying a fortune for a place I don't get to enjoy. So I wanted to be able to be based at the farm but still needed to have an external revenue. So, um, funnily enough, one of the local, just conventional beauty beauty salons um, had a job going and um, in the paper and I thought, you know, why not go back to the, the, old, the old game kind of thing, have a go. And um, basically got offered a trial there for a week and, oh, look, I knew after the first day, I thought this was not for me. <laughs> um, everything from hygiene standards to best practice that was far from best and just the all-round approach. It just didn't resonate with me at all. And just the infection control measures, well, there practically weren't any. So I just can't work like that. So um, I went home that night and I just thought, you know, and this, this particular business has been well-established, you know, for quite some time. And I thought, how does she even keep clients? Like, <laughs> I couldn't comprehend... And then I thought, you know what? She's been well-established for so long. She's doing such a half-assed job and seemingly making a half-decent income out of it. Surely I could have a crack at this just as a sole operator and make a half-decent living by at least doing it properly. <laughs> and that's pretty much how it happened. I thought, well, let's give it a crack. <laughs> well, you're not a sole operator anymore. Um, two years ago, you just had just the one clinic. Today, you have eight. Um, yeah. really fast growth. So I know lots of people talk about how they want to grow really fast, but I would imagine that fast growth really brings a lot of challenges. So mm. what has been the hardest thing about actually growing so fast? Getting enough sleep. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, for someone who like me, naturally, I like to dot my eyes, cross my T's, do everything well and finish everything. I feel like, to be honest, whilst there's a degree of um, seemingly order, there's also a lot of chaos <laughs> behind the scenes because it has been evolving so quickly. Um, so it's kind of like that uh, montage of, you know, the ducks sitting on the pond looking quite serene, but underneath the, 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 the feet are going like the clappers. I just feel like I'm chasing my tail sometimes and never quite catch up. But at the end of the day, how, how, do you, how do you keep things under control when you are growing so far? Prioritising is the key. You've really got to choose your battles. And for someone like me who is innately a perfectionist, I have to let a lot of shit go, <laughs> quite simply. I really have to choose my battles. Have you worked out what are the things that are worth not paying as much attention to, even though your instinct is to pay attention to them? What are oh. the there's just so many I couldn't I couldn't mention but and to be honest it varies you know what might be relevant at this point in time might not be down the track you know I remember probably the thing that stands out the most particularly when I went back into business this time because the reason I had a bit of a hiatus was I had an accident a few years ago um, rather suddenly and basically had to learn to walk again so I just shut up shop and that was it so going back into business in that interim measure, back when I was in business the first time, social media was only just becoming really relevant on a personal level. It wasn't um, pervasive in the business world. It was only just sort of coming to the, to the fore, I suppose. So in that interim period, it's become all-consuming, I suppose, for business. So that... I hadn't anticipated, to be honest. And when I first went into business this time around, I couldn't tell you how many times I nearly quit <laughs> because I had all these people, so-called gurus and whatnot, uh, um, who were telling me, I have to do this, I need to do this. And, you know, and I, it just got to the point where it was all-consuming and I was spending probably 90% of my time engrossed in that instead of doing the work that I enjoy, <laughs> you know, with clients. And I found increasingly frustrating and I got absolutely no joy from it. Um, and, you know, there's probably a defining moment somewhere in the mix where I just thought, you know what, old school approaches aren't completely redundant. Just because they're not in vogue at the moment or, you know, social media's got the, the spotlight, whatever, 
they're still relevant, you know, and particularly with certain demographics like the more mature demographic, you know, there's still a lot of people here that, you know, don't have Facebook profiles or even know how to use Instagram or, you know, all that sort of stuff. So that's what part, I just... So part, part of it is was resisting the pressure to do what everyone told you that you needed to do. Yeah, the so-called experts. And yeah. I suppose... And that's them, presumably how you ended up with more of a partnership strategy, which is a... Well, I guess indirectly. Um, and, you know, someone said to me in, in, in one of the many courses I've done there when it comes to Facebook is um, you very much want your personality to come across in the page, um, which I really struggled with initially because I wanted my page to be professional, clinical. I didn't want it to be about me. I still don't want it to be about me, and I very rarely get on there, to be honest, but that's one of the things I've chosen, bugger it, you know. Um, so, and then I thought, well, you know what? If this page is supposed to be about me, then I'm going to make it what I want it to be. You know, I'm not going to subscribe to the pressure to post any times a day or, you know, use emojis and all this sort of stuff. I want it to reflect what I want to read, what I want to see. And I know that's probably a little bit arrogant, but, you know, in terms of my overall very eclectic blend of client base, which is constantly evolving, it's, it's how they perceive me and how they want to interact with me. So there's always, a, there's always a balance there in marketing. Yeah, and I suppose it's always a work in progress. But yeah. um yeah. your own personality, of course. People yeah, yeah. so but I still really wanted to maintain that professional... Um, veneer if you will so at, at some point i don't remember call call when exactly but i just thought no enough already um you know and there's still relevance in other old school measures whether it be the, the newspaper the letter drops the sponsoring local community events that kind of thing the exhibitions you know all that kind of stuff which i've, I've been engaging more um so yeah, again, it comes back to balance and not having your, you know, you have a finger in a few different pies, not have all your eggs in the one basket, so to speak. So you've got it, a few it, it, it's interesting that you talk about this as in as in you are really feeling the pressure to do these to do these things that you didn't really want to do. Like was that pressure? Sorry. Yeah, that didn't resonate with me at all. I'm someone who is quite introverted ordinarily. I don't like the spotlight. I certainly don't like being in front of a camera, <laughs> video or static. Um, so oh, thank that, you very much for doing the podcast. <laughs> so um, that really was pressing all the wrong buttons for me on a number of levels in the first instance. So but there's, when a, I, there's a few very important principles here. First of all, as a business owner, you actually have to enjoy it. There's no point doing it. Yes you're not enjoying it. And I think that very often business owners, not just in this industry, in every industry, do yeah. get caught up on some kind of hamster wheel where they're doing mm -hmm. the things they think they need to do in order to expand their business, but actually they hate every minute of it. Um, yeah. So learning to say, actually there's bits here that I really don't want to do and it's okay if I do things differently Hmm. actually you know you it's really hard to grow a business when you're not enjoying doing it it's horrible it, yeah and I think also the other thing that's sort of dawned on me well you know if every other Tom Dick and Harry is on social media how on earth are you supposed to be seen amongst the masses whereas you know everyone's gone away from some of those more mainstream approaches now so it's like well, there's actually all this stuff going begging over here you know I've, I've got pole positions so you can have that. I'm going over here. <laughs> what's, and, really, what's really noticeable is that the people who are most successful on social media have been doing it for many years. So they've got really, um, in my perception anyway, they've got really established audiences, um, mm -hmm. whereas it's much harder if you're starting up now because that, how do you really differentiate yourself? And again, that's one of the reasons that we advocate using email because that is your audience that you're not competing with anyone else for attention for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So, so essentially um, having the guts um, to, to step away from things that you don't enjoy and focus on the bits that you do enjoy. And also the other interesting thing that you said um, is about perfection, perfectionism, which I really relate to because I see some of that in myself as well. And it's really hard to let go of the things that, um, you know, that you feel that you should be doing or to kind of lower your, to say this is good, not to lower your standards, but say this is good enough rather than perfect. 
Um, I actually read something the other day that said that that was one of the biggest barriers that business owners experience that it's themselves essentially it's their own high standards so is that is that something that you kind of relate to i think so yeah and i think if you know subscribe to any of the psychological theory that you know i vaguely remember these days you know they, they often say perfectionism is fear in disguise too fear of failure and <laughs> and a whole multitude of other fears probably too so inadequacies in a general sense i suppose so and I suppose human beings and being naturally controlling creatures, we want to control as much as we can. Um, and particularly when things don't necessarily feel like they're in your control sometimes. Um, and I guess, I suppose that's where the sort of spiritual element comes into it. Um, I'm, I'm very much um, not a religious person by any measure, um, but quite spiritual and, and to an extent almost a fatalist. Um, I believe that everything happens for a reason. Um, not necessarily apparent in the immediacy of the moment, granted, but um, it's either a lesson or a blessing, as they say. Um, and, um, yeah, so sometimes just be able to say, let it go, what will be will be, the universe, God, whoever, whatever name you want to uh, attribute to it, you know, sometimes it's just we're going to end down down here and we'll end up down there another time. We're just Sometimes you just got to learn to go with the flow, I guess is what I'm saying. You can't control everything. Has learning has learning to do that as a business owner, A, really genuinely affected your business and B, has it affected the way that you enjoy your business? Yes, most certainly. And in fact, that has probably been, if you want to get to the root cause of everything, the primary influencing factor in, in the evolution of my business in the, in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, most certainly. It's just being at the mercy of universe, fate, whatever, and people who cross my paths, opportunities that present, opportunities that leave as well. You know, sometimes you've got to make way for the old to make way for the new. Um, and in the, in the moment, they might seem disappointing, but, you know, usually, you know, greener pastures arise over the way. So um, it, all, it has all culminated in me being here, which will eventually end up in me being somewhere else in due course. So... So learning, yeah. to, learning to roll with the punches, essentially. Yeah, um, I guess. You can't control everything. Um, you do your head in if you even tried, I think. That's the moral of the story. Um, so, yeah, it just comes back to choosing your battles, most certainly, and trying to find some semblance of balance. Eileen, thank you very much. That was extremely, extremely interesting. Um, and obviously, do you have plans to open any more clinics? No. <laughs> Although I said that three clinics ago, <laughs> I'm done. Now I think I've well and truly matched my quota. As I said, I don't. I never had any great aspirations to grow to the point we have. And I think, like all businesses, there's a threshold at some point that you reach where you really then have to um, palm off to middle management and the so forth, um, which I'm not really prepared to do. I think. A big part of my niche has been that really customised personal service that my business, me and my business, has provided. And I think if you grow too big, and particularly too big too soon, that integral factor can too easily be lost. So that I am very, very reluctant to toy with. Um, you know, the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So um, I'm just happy to maintain the status quo for the moment. Fantastic. <laughs> Um, Eileen, if people want to get in touch with you, especially to find out more about the partnerships and collaboration, how can they get in touch with you? Probably best by email because, quite honest, I very rarely get to answer my phone directly. So just at highfistcreamclinics at outlook.com. Fantastic. Um, Eileen, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and it's so interesting to hear someone who has such a different strategy um, for, for growth um, and not afraid to get out of that box, essentially. So thank you very much for a really interesting three quarters of an hour. Thank you, Miriam. <laughs> Pleasure. And everybody else will see you on the next episode of How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic.